Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. you are with that musical but it is in my blood it really literally is in my blood and I'll tell you why I grew up with this uh, I know this I know this. I have this memorized I could I could do it for you right here I could do some of the other things on it because I grew up listening to it on a capital record because of one particular connection that I have with this story and with this musical nothing that I have any control over but something I can take pride in. I'll show you what it is. It starts out with two sisters that were born in the late 19th century. Lida Reiniger Hardy, Rosie Reiniger Wilson. Lida had a daughter by the name of Emily. Emily was Emily Alden Hardy. She married a guy named James Stewart. Not Jimmy Stewart, but James Stewart. James and Emily had a son named Charles Raymond Stewart. Charles Raymond Stewart had a son by the name of Jeffrey Allen Stewart. That's me, Jeffrey Allen Stewart. If you go back to these sisters, Rosie Reiniger Wilson had two sons, Robert Reiniger, Meredith Wilson. Meredith Wilson wrote The Music Man. He was also wrote, uh, it's beginning to look like, like Christmas. He also wrote Chicken Fat. He also wrote uh, The Unsinkable Molly Brown. So there's music in my family. This is a picture of Meredith, and this is a picture of my father. I don't know if you can see the similarities there. The ears, the chin, the eyes and stuff. So I am related to Meredith Wilson. Aren't you impressed with that? And you can thank my family for uh, involving the entertainment industry of all the progress that's taken place because without this movie that you just saw, there would be no little Ronnie Howard. And there was no little Ronnie Howard. He had his debut in this movie. There'd be no Tom Hanks. So afterwards, you can thank me for my family's involvement with the entertainment or you can slap me if you want to for that. But I had no control over that. It's something that I grew up with. Now what happened is Meredith Wilson grew up in a Midwest town, Mason City, Iowa. I know all about this because my grandmother shared all this stuff with me. My aunt who lives in San Rafael still shares this stuff with me. You saw the two names up there, Lida and Rosie. There's a song in Mer- uh, Music Man called Lida Rose based on my family. Now there is something about the trouble aspect that he saw when he grew up in Mason City, Iowa, back in the early 20th century, and he made a comic out of it. But he actually saw some of the people get worked up about little matters, about little things. And I don't know if you know back then, but they had the distinction he made between billiards and pool. Now, I don't know if you, anyone ever played real billiards, not pool, but billiards. Billiards has no pockets. And billiards is almost like chess. Because you have to, there's a strategy that you have to be able to think ahead of what you're going to do. There's only involves just a few, few uh, balls. But pool was like slothful. It was just so easy to put a ball in the pocket. And he says you mark. He marks a difference between that a gentleman with a, a capital B and that rhymes with T, P and that stands for pool. Takes little things. And he saw back 90 years ago, people in this Midwest city get worked up about little things and get troubled about those things. So he takes this swindling salesman and 
he, they, he makes trouble in the, uh, the city of River City, Iowa, and takes their money. And maybe if you know the story that it has a redemption at the end. You see, we get worked up about a lot of things that really are insignificant. We're, we we, we uh, take little matters and we turn them into huge matters. And we become troubled with those things. And I'd like for us to think about that this morning because we're going to look at the words of Jesus. And Jesus addresses this. My mom, she was a model for anxiety for me when I grew up. We used to call her a worry ward. We would be driving down the street and, and we might pass somebody with a lawnmower. And, and she would hear that noise and she'd go, shh, 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 something's wrong with the car. And we'd say, no, Mom, it's a long, shh, shh, want to hear there's something wrong with the car. So every once in a while, just for fun, we'd just kind of like thump our foot on the back <laughs> just to see this anxiety. She would get worked up about things. Now, I've had that in my own life. I'm sure you've had that in your own life where, where we get troubled about things. We get worked up about things, and we discover most of the time, especially as Christ followers, that things work out. Most of the time, things work out. And Jesus addresses us, Jesus addresses the disciples about those things. You know, that's one reason why we have warning labels. I have a few of them here. We just put up the uh, mini blinds over in the office. And they have stuff like, you know, protect our, your children. Okay, I understand that because it makes something may happen in a perilous way. But everything has warning labels on it. There's a, a, a lampshade that I just got that had plastic on it that says, Move cover, you know, move the plastic before you put the lampshade up. Duh! I understand that. Um, I don't know if you ever, anyone's ever gotten this in, in uh, your medicine. There's this little thing that takes the moisture out. Well, you know what it says on it, do not eat. <laughs> now, I know that. I know I'm not supposed to eat that. And, and then uh, I put a, a light in recently. There's this little cardboard thing that says do not install. <laughs> now, we're inconsistent as well because sometimes things happen that I don't understand why they happen. Um, this is some toilet paper that I just got recently. It's a uh, Cottonelle. And uh, the manufacturers were trying to find a place to put a coupon on it, so they put it on one of the sheets. I mean, what are they thinking? <laughs> Honey, have you seen the coupon? Oh, no, never mind, I got it. I mean, as long as we do stupid things, there wouldn't be jackass movies. They have the jackass movies that come out. We get worked up about things because there's trouble. We have the potential of getting into trouble, don't we? I knew that growing up. I always got into trouble. There's trouble everywhere. And it's something that we need to be concerned about. And Jesus knows we get worked up about trouble. Jesus knows that we have these little things that we turn into huge things that we shouldn't. And there's stories in the gospel we can relate to. I want to share this morning from a lot of passages. I'm going to ask you to use your Bibles or these pew Bibles we can break in today. They're brand new, these brand new burgundy Bibles. I want you to look at a lot of the stories. And I'm going to be referring to a, a lot of words that, that uh, I've looked up in the original language, not for the sake of impressing anyone, but there's something about knowing the meaning of what Jesus is saying that thickens the truth. So we can get a hold of it and apply it to our lives. And, and I made a lot of discoveries this week, looking in the last two weeks, of looking at what Jesus has to say about trouble, about getting worked up, and about how Jesus wants us to trust in him so that things work out. The first one is Matthew 8, chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. A very familiar story that many of us know. It's on page 962 and 963 of the, of the Brown Bible out there. Listen to this story and see if you don't find a way to relate to it. 
Jesus saw the crowd around him. He just finished teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He sees a big crowd around him, a huge crowd, according to what the original intent here, a huge crowd around him. He gave orders to get out of there, to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, and this is a heads up, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied these words. They seem crass. They seem crude. He says, foxes have holes. They have security. Birds of the air have nests. They have security. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you sure you want to do this? That's the implication in that. Another another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him these words. First time I read these words, I thought, what is wrong with you, Lord? Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, whether that person is buried or not, he's done. You don't have to worry about him anymore. That's just the chaos of this world. He's either going to decay on top of the ground or underneath the ground. That doesn't seem fair, does it? But Jesus gives the disciples a bit of a heads up before this episode that follows. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. That's trouble. With a capital T, that's trouble. Waves sweeping over a boat. Wouldn't you think that? We've got water down here. You go on the boat. You don't want water in the boat, do you? No. What's going to happen? You might do the same thing. But Jesus was sleeping. How could he do that? He must have been really tired from that sermon. I know Ken takes a day off after he preaches. And I collapse on Sunday afternoon. Jesus had just talked to the crowd for hours. And he's sleeping in the midst of all this. And the disciples went and woke him. You don't want to be woken, do you, Ken? I don't want to be woken. Lord, save us! We're going to drown! And it literally means, this is it! We're goners! This is trouble, Lord. This is the end. Look what's happening. The water is going in the boat. We're going down. Wake up! What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is trouble. This is bad. And Jesus says, you're right. He doesn't say that. He says, you of little faith. Why does he say that? Yeah, the word literally is micro faith. You've got micro faith. You're not, you're not trusting me. You've got micro faith. Why are you so afraid? What? Why are you so afraid? Say that again? Lord, don't you understand? You were part of the creative process, right? You understand buoyancy, don't you, Lord? Don't you know that when the water goes in the boat, although once the, the water, water will cover up the boat and it'll go down, we're not going to stay up here. We're going to go with it. You understand that, Lord? Do you understand that? You have little faith. What are you talking about? They woke him up. He said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. It was completely calm. It's what they wanted. They wanted non-threatening conditions. Lord, I'll follow you. Well, I don't have any place to stay. Oh, all right. Lord, I'll follow you. i got to bury my own dead. No, nope. you take, 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 take care of it. You just follow me right now. 
Don't worry about all that stuff. All right. Save us, Lord. We're going to drown. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? The waves obey him. You know what happened to them in that episode? They were troubled. They were subjective. They were thinking about themselves. Doesn't that stand to reason? Wouldn't you think of yourself? I mean, certainly you think of others as well. But if there's one piece of wood and it's available and there's three people after it, it's a race, isn't it? Who's going after it? Oh, go ahead, after you. No, they became subjective. And that's what we do in trouble. We become subjective. And all of a sudden, Jesus made it the way they wanted it to be. He made it calm. And they became objective. Wow, everything's okay now. He took care of us, Lord. It worked out. We're getting worked up, and now we're work- it's working out. They went from subjective to objective. It happens again and again and again. And there's, there's a reason for this as Jesus teaches the disciples and as he teaches us today. He, he talks about this in, in other stories. They went from worked up to worked out. And Jesus gave them a heads up about their condition, but they didn't fully understand it. Turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It's on page 1067 and 1068. The Gospel of John. And I'll be reading through most of this. I've got in the outline the key passages for you. But this is what he says to them a little bit later. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And the word for trouble in the original language means is terrasso. It means commotion within. Man, don't we have commotion within? We multitask today, don't we? Don't we multitask? We've got five items going on in our lives at once. And we got four taken care of. But we still don't have that fifth one taken care of. It seems like four out of five would be okay. But not in our world. We've got a lot of inner commotion. So we get worked up about that fifth thing. That's what trouble means. He says, do not let your hearts have that inner commotion. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he gives them the perspective that we ourselves need to have and repeat. And we often talk about it here. It's eternity. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. There are many secure places there. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were so, he would have told him. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you with me that you also may be where I am. You know that there's a difference in this world and eternity. You know that. You know the way. You know to the place where I'm going. And what happens here? A Q&A follows. A, Q, a question and answer session follows with the disciples. They get subjected. What are you talking about? Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We want to see it. How can we know? We want to know for sure. And Jesus answered those words. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He wants to know. And Jesus says, you see. So Philip, he says, 
Well, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. That's all we want to see. Just one little glimpse. We don't ever get to see him, but we trust him. Just, just a little, just a little indicator. Can you show us? And Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, I've been among you all this time. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Show us the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing this work. Believe in me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He wants to see. Verse 15, if you love me, you know you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you see and you know. But you know him. He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Thomas said, we don't know. Jesus said, yes, you do. Philip says, we want to see. He says, you see. You think it's enough for them? No. Judas, not Iscariot, the editor puts in. And want to get any confusion there. Not the guy that betrayed Jesus. Then Judas, the other Judas said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? The press conference continues. Just bring the kingdom on now. Why just us? Why not everybody? Let's just take care of all this stuff. We're living in this world. You keep promising this great world that we're going to have, one that we don't have any insecurities, one that we don't have any trouble. Just bring it on. Why are you doing this to us? It just seems like you're tantalizing us. What are you doing? Come on. We want it now. We want it right now. It's troubling here. It's troubling. And Jesus replied in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him or her. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And in verse 25, he says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he says these words. Peace, I leave you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be what? Troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Do not have that inward commotion. Do not have that anxiety that says that nothing is going to go the way we want it to in this earth. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. What is the world's peace? The world's peace 
is compensation for all the trouble that goes on. We see it out there all the time. We've engaged in it ourselves. We find some illegitimate way to compensate for the rigors of this life. I know because I've done it. There are artificial ways of gaining a little respite from all the rigor that we have to put up with. There are artificial ways of doing that. That's why we have a recovery ministry. That's why we understand where, where we have depended on substances to take us away from all this pain and rigor and trouble. That it leads us down a path of destruction. And we don't see it because we want the compensation. We also find ways of, of, of compensating with, with our money or with comforts and stuff. And we discover they don't do anything. We, ha- we look at Anna Nicole Smith and what do we see? Everything that she could have had is everything we probably wanted. And in many other ways as well. What happened? She destroyed herself. But all of the elements that went into gaining the peace... And the compensation of the frustration of the world, we didn't learn the lesson. And we don't learn the lesson. We didn't learn it with John Belushi. We didn't learn it with Jimi Hendrix. We don't learn it with anyone else. We still want those things. And we say, oh, I think I can do okay with those. Jesus is talking about something far higher than that. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Don't let your hearts have inner commotion, believe in God, believe also in me. He says there is a home beyond, and we talk about that here. We want that perspective of eternity beyond, but we also realize that his promise is he will make his abode in us here. My Father and I will come and make our dwelling inside. That's how we get that peace. That's how we can trust in the Lord, where we have a different perspective from the world, where we're not troubled. It's a home beyond, but it's a dwelling within where we don't have any need of questions and answers that will satisfy us, where we don't become subjective with it. One last passage is in John 16. And this is where they finally start to get it. Page 1070. John 16, 25. He says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. We won't need the God in the flesh part. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I have, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now. You are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Ah, 31, you believe at last. That's what faith is. You believe at last. But a time is coming. Hang on. Hang on, you need to know this. A time is coming and has come when you will be scattered. And you know what happened to the disciples after that. Each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world 
you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Are you troubled? Are you frustrated? There's so much stuff out there. It doesn't take very long to discover it, does it? Especially for me. I get worked up so easily. I lose sight. I become subjective. Oh, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm preaching to you guys. Yeah. But it doesn't take me long before I get on the freeway. Most of you know that vice that I have on the freeway, but God's working on me. God's working on me real good. But it doesn't take long to get on that entrance ramp and just go just a few miles before you become subjective again and there's trouble out there. Why is this person driving below the speed limit? What's wrong with that guy speeding so fast? There's trouble. And sometimes we lose sight of the peace that Christ can offer us, give us. And we don't see the opportunities we have before us. Because we don't understand that the Father is dwelling in us as followers and giving us that perspective that this world isn't it. That freeway is not it. The chaos and the brokenness is not it. Whatever you're suffering now, if somebody, if you're sick or there's somebody, something going on in your life right now, there's trouble. But it's not it. And Jesus has a way of really driving it home for us. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 5 through 7. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I need to paste that on my rearview mirror. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is within. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Why? Because it's the peace of Christ. It's not the peace of the world. You can't figure out why you have that peace. Will guard your hearts and your minds from that inner commotion in Christ Jesus. That word anxiety originally means to be troubled with cares. The King James has a pretty good, interesting way of putting this down. The King James Version says, be careful. You hear people say that? Be careful. King James translates this, be careful for nothing. Don't be careful. What? Be cautious and careful. Look out for yourself. That's usually what's in that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I want you to be careful. I want you to be safe. But there is a way that we can turn that inward to be careful. And we don't see the opportunities that God has for us. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. The peace which transcends all understanding will guard you. Why do we have this offered to us? Why is God offering us this peace? Why is God offering us not to be troubled? Well, there's a purpose in it. Let your gentleness, what? Be evident to who? All. The Lord is near. Jesus uh, puts it pretty bluntly, bluntly in Luke 12. But I want to read something before I get to Luke 12. This is an illustration. This is a book called Unstoppable Force by Erwin McManus. This is an illustration of trouble and trusting. This was my very first official pastorate. And at $50 a week, I was certainly overpaid. 
As I overviewed our assumed to be minimal assets, I suddenly discovered that we had $20,000 in the bank. Not bad for a handful of people ministering to a community that was predominantly on welfare. I soon learned learned that this was money that was a gift of the generous believers that supported our work. When I insisted that we use these funds to reach the city rather than maintain a financial net for the church, one of the two other men in the meeting frantically declared, but we must survive. Trouble. There's no more commotion. I will never forget the look on their faces when I promised that I would either lead us to impact the city or in the effort close our doors. I was a very young believer at the time and only in my 20s, but I was sure that there was no promise in the Bible that ensured survival. Once survival has become our supreme goal, we have lost our way. And I think that's what Jesus was saying and is saying. The New Testament word for witness is the same as that for martyr. We have come to know martyrs as those who have died for their faith. They didn't survive, but they died facing the right direction. Around the world, Christian families, tribes, and communities have been persecuted and brutally killed for their faith. They didn't survive, yet they left a witness. The purpose of the church cannot be to survive or even to thrive, but to serve. And sometimes servants die in the serving. Ken talked about that last week. It is not too difficult to understand why a church would want to disconnect from the world around it. I understand that. Just watching the 5 o'clock news makes a person want to give up. If our perception is that people don't care anyway, if our conclusion is that no one is really open to the truth, and since there's overwhelming evidence that the hearts of individuals and the heart of society seems to have been hardened beyond repair, it is no wonder that the churches have become spiritual bomb shelters. Yet the church is not called to survive history, but to serve humanity. As with each individual, there's a difference between living and existing for the church. And so the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 4, put it very bluntly. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, can do no more. Wow. Those are radical words. I mean, what is Jesus saying? Do you stop for hitchhikers? No, I know. Do you uh, uh, go to dangerous places on purpose at night? I don't. Is this really reasonable that Jesus would say these things? No, but it's the truth. It's Jesus offering his word. And that's why Jesus said it. You see, we get... Worked up. I know because I get worked up. But there's a purpose for this peace that God gives us. There's a purpose for this not being troubled in the midst of all dangers. There's eternity with it. Ours and everyone else's. In your outline, you have a prescription. And I just want you to simply write a few things on there. Trust in God through Christ. It's pretty simple. Daily. In everything, pray. Don't worry. Pray. And allow the peace of Christ to prevail. It's pretty basic stuff. Uh, I think that's what he's saying to the disciples. That's what he's saying to me. That's what he's saying to us. You don't have to refill this many times except daily in serving God. Let your gentleness be evident to all 
The Lord is near. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.